You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Good morning. If you're turning to the Gospel of John, we'll read and go from there this morning. I'm hoping that all this technology works. I've certainly had some frustrations with it today. It's taking up way too much of my attention. But now we want to turn, we want to turn our attention to the book of God, to the opening section of the Gospel of John. We've had a couple of lessons on an introduction to John's Gospel. As we saw, it was an independent Gospel intended to bring belief. John says, these things have been written that you might believe. And John spoke often of the benefit of believing, the good in believing, the necessity of believing, and told us about other believers through his gospel. So we have styled the gospel of John as a guided tour to belief. It's not just a guided tour of belief, but a guided tour to bring us to belief. Let us read John 1, 1 through 18, and then we will comment further. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that's come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are, not bo- who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained them. We said in our introduction that one of the notable things about the Gospel of John is both the lofty and the earthy mixed together. Here is one of the loftiest and longest of loftiest sections of all the scripture, of high concept, of of beautiful wordsmithing, of, of a great poetry of language, almost like 
almost like the, the lyrics of a hymn. But every word, literal truth, guided to cause us to believe. And what John has done here in this great and lofty start is John has uh, gathered us together uh, to begin the tour. Well, I can think of some times where I have taken guided tours. And generally, the guided tour, it has a stated hour to begin, and uh, those who are on the tour, uh, we purchase our, our tickets, and we begin to assemble somewhere as the time approaches. Uh, so maybe if you're getting on a big tour bus, uh, everybody sat down on the bus, and now the guide is up at the front of the bus and got the mic out. Ladies and gentlemen, I have your attention. This is what we're about to do. Or I recall a, a beautiful guided tour I took of the uh, Hermitage in uh, the outskirts of Nashville, Tennessee, Andrew Jackson's home. Uh, there was a beautiful spot in the garden where they'd set up some benches. And uh, those who were waiting on the tour could go sit on the benches. And they had a little bit of music playing. And at one of the places they had for the gatherings, uh, there was a little bit of a video uh, that would play. And so it would kind of set the tone and get us ready uh, for what was about to happen. And when you go and see some of the great national parks or, or great national historic sites, there's so much to see. And it's so easy to get lost in the detail. And you want to make sure you get to the important parts that we'll go ahead and we'll pay somebody to take us around. We'll, we, we, we want a good experienced guide uh, who knows what uh, knows what's out there, know, knows the whole trail, knows the whole path, or knows which <laughs> which way to go through the rooms, uh, can be <laughs> very beneficial. John takes us on this spotlight tour of truth, but as he's assembled us, and and as we've gathered together, he wants us to know where it all started. He wants us to know, why are we on this tour? I remember another tour I took one time. It wasn't quite as lofty as a national park or as, uh, as uh, historically important as Andrew Jackson's house. But one time in suburban Memphis, I went to this uh, strip mall, kind of a seedy place. And they, they, they gave us, they, they sold us some tickets and they were going to lead us across the boulevard up the hill to this uh, kind of gaudy mansion called Graceland. It, we saw, saw the room with the three TVs, saw the room with the shag carpet on the walls and the ceiling, saw all of that. But as we're, as we're getting ready to go across, for those who were too young to remember uh, Elvis and the Elvi and all those things that went with that, uh, they, were, they were giving us a rundown of why, why he was such a big deal. And they gave us his um, uh, you know, little background, a little video of him being real young and some of his first and and most famous performances. And you saw him on the Ed Solomon show, and you saw him in the army, and you saw these various things. And you saw the start of it. And then they rush us across the street to, you know, the, the mansion, and we go through and we see, we see what it was in its heyday. But they kind of showed they kind of sold us on the importance of why we were there. And that's what we're doing here with this prologue. This is the real start of things. In the beginning was the word. We, we need to, when we read the gospel, especially read it to believe, we need to understand what this is all about. And, and this, this setting of it, the real start of the thing is of great importance. Now, 
Matthew told us about the birth of Jesus and the prophecies that went with it and traced Jesus' ancestry back to Abraham. And then Luke, Luke told us of the story, not just the birth of Jesus, but also the birth of John, the two, the two uh, births uh, intertwined in the story. And he gives us in his genealogy in Luke 3, the genealogy all the way back to Adam. But John in his turn, he takes us back to the very beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. Normally if we hear the term in the beginning, we automatically fill in the words of Genesis. In the beginning, God. And John tells us, in the beginning, the word. And so to start the tour, as we've gathered here in the lobby, as we've just about to board the bus or just aborted the bus, as the shuttle is about to leave but hasn't even left yet, we're still talking in preparation, John tells us, you know, our story really starts way back farther than you thought. And so like Julie Andrews saying, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. And then she said, if you're, going to, if you're going to read, you say ABC. And if you're going to sing, you say, do re mi. But John says, if we're going to study about Jesus, let's go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, God, well, for Christians, we're further informed, in the beginning, the word. And so we really do need to know. And John starts us off before he even starts the tour. John starts with saying, you need to know how far back this goes. You need to know what the real story here is. You need to understand so that you can properly appreciate a thing. You, you need to know where it came from. And you need to know then what it's for and where it's going. And if we don't know the history of a thing, even of created things, and of course Jesus is not a created thing, Jesus and the God, un, and God uncreated, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the creators, not created. But even of created things, it really helps to know, you know who made it, what it's for, and why. And so that way, when, when somebody has a large amount of money to go buy on a, on a motor vehicle, uh, they don't buy a tractor instead of a passenger car because the salesman told them, look, this thing works for hours without you know, much maintenance. The, 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 the amount, the amount of, of the towing capacity of this vehicle, unbelievable. And finally, somebody says, yeah, but it only has one seat. Oh, yeah, but this will go over the roughest terrain. Yeah, but I don't need to go over the roughest terrain at three miles an hour. I want to go down the highway at 80. Oh, okay. And so if, if, if you don't know what a thing is for, if you don't know who made it and why, also, if you don't know anything about when it was made, you're probably not going to be able to use it very well, right? It's like when somebody buys a classic car. And it has all comfortable seats and has leather and has all these things. And then, they, you know, maybe it was made in 1955 or 1956. And i got to tell you, they styled some beautiful cars in the 50s. And there's a reason to buy that car and a use for that car. But a daily driver or a cross-country family hauler is not it, right? So you buy the wrong thing for the wrong purpose. And so today, no, I mean, we don't even know the basics of uh, you know, why and when we were made male and female. 
We got people, they don't know when marriage was made or what marriage is for. We got people who don't understand what the family's for. And we try to invent and reinvent every bit of that to suit us, and it doesn't work. Well, people also have wrong ideas about Jesus. There, there hardly isn't a heretical group out there, uh, some of these strange sectarian groups, but they don't have weird things about Jesus. Most of them, Jesus is created. They think any, any of those doctrines that say Jesus was created, uh, maybe he was created a long time ago. Maybe he was created first. Maybe for some of them he was even created before the world began, but he was still created. Uh, they are headed into departure. And so we find in verse 1 here again, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so echoing the most famous statement of scripture, the first one, informing us with additional detail about what was revealed from the very first, we find about Jesus, eternal, pre-creation, existing before all other things exist. We find him predating time and creation. And so this word... And the Greek word there is logos. This word or logos is for us the first thing John points out as the way to believe. Knowing the word, the logos helps us, knowing the word helps us to believe. Now again, John, as we said in the introduction, the last couple of lessons, John, his gospel is all about belief, right? And we have two mentions of belief here in the prologue section. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. In verse 7, he was a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in him. That's why we're telling you this, so you all might believe. And again, down in verse 12, as many as received him, because he came to his own, they received him not. But as many as received him, he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe him. And they're born not of blood or the will of flesh or will of man, but of God. So twice in the prologue, we have what John says I am intending to do, which is to guide you to belief. We have in that the real, accurate start of everything. That he is the creator. The word, the logos, is the creator. He was in the beginning, so he was there to create. The word was with God. The word was God and all things came to being through him and apart from nothing came him nothing came into being that has come in to being it's all about him and so we think about the importance of the word of God to the Jewish audience as soon as you say something about the word of God uh, you're singing their tune you're you're in their playbook you're in you're in their, uh, you're in their hymn book. Uh, you're in their book. You think about the prophets, particularly Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, but many other prophets say this. They say, hear what? Hear the word of the Lord. Well, here is the word of the Lord. He, Jesus is going to be the very word. And when the word is given, if you're faithful at all to God, what do you do? Well, you conform to it. You, you do what the word says. Numbers 9, 23. At the command of the Lord, 
they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. And they kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, wish they would have done that longer. They would have been better off. But at that point, they're doing it. And that point, it was working as it ought. That the word of God organizes the lives and the thoughts of the faithful. But it's not just the lives of the faithful that the word of God organizes and directs. It turns out it's all of creation. Psalm 33. By the word, and in the Septuagint, the translation of the Old Testament, that was the word logos. By the logos, or by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath, the pneuma, the spirit, of his mouth are all their host. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And so when John starts off with, in the beginning was the word, the Jews recognize that, faithful Jews especially, who conform and listen to and follow the word of God. They understand that the word of God is the everything, right? What did it even say in Deuteronomy, which Jesus gave us the, the fullness of the meaning in Matthew? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The faithful had always done that. So the creator here of all things is this word of God. Now, just like later it will be, Jesus will say, I'm not just going to cause the resurrection, but I am the resurrection. And not just that I give light, but I am the light, which is our next point. Jesus is that word. Not just that he empowers that word, but he is very much it. He is personally it. Now, this word, which in Greek is logos, from which we get our word logic, we can tell that there is some additional baggage, additional uh, material, additional information that's packed into this word logos than just a word, than just an utterance, than just... A statement. To the Gentiles, the Logos, again, more than a stated utterance, but to to many of them, it was the organizing principle of the world. It was the idea behind everything. Uh, The the Gentiles had, you know, been sorting out and trying to figure out for a long time what's behind the things we see. And we have a little bit of that left over that we might be acquainted with when we talk about a thing being the platonic ideal. See, Plato and other philosophers, they thought there was this idea behind everything. There was a perfect thought. There was a perfect idea, a perfect concept that then through various iterations and, uh, and uh, well, diminishments uh, and various corruptions eventually uh, became the physical thing we see. So there was the physical world we had to deal with But they thought behind it somewhere was this perfect or idealized version. And again, we we still have in our vocabulary this idea of a platonic idea. Well, the the pagans, of course, with many uh, misunderstandings and and many darknesses of foolish hearts, to paraphrase Romans 1, they didn't quite get it right. But they, they were correct in that there's something beyond what we have now, right? And even our most atheistic and materialistic friends, don't they all know in their hearts that there's something beyond what we can see? And I don't think they give always a lot of thought about it. The Greeks tried to figure it out and gave a lot of thought about it. But it turns out that the word word or logos carried a lot of this connotation. 
to us, we still have, you know, sometimes a, a heavy uh, back catalog of things that goes with the word word, right? Somebody states an important truth. And what's one of the ways uh, that you can affirm it or you can, you can say you have agreement, you can say word. That's this idea. It's, it's not all that they had with it, but it's some of it and it's the part we still have left. Well, what we find is that Jesus, the creator, is the real organizer and the real substance, the personal maker and organizer of everything. Because he was the word. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. And again, verse 3, by him everything is made. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the first verse of Genesis, and if we don't understand the first verse or two of John, how are we going to understand the rest of the world? We don't understand what it was put together uh, for. We don't understand who put it together. We certainly don't understand the purpose for which the world is organized. And how many people out there live in a way that they don't know what life in the world is about? They've got a misconception at a most fundamental level of what it's all for, of why it's all for, and of whom it's all for. And today, the most popular answer is, it's not for nothing, it was all by chance. People actually say that, that we're the the pointless end of a cosmic accident. Well, no wonder the suicide rates through the roof. And sometimes you'll hear that, and I've heard that from a couple of uh, uh, people who work in entertainment industry and in education and in politics, who I generally respect, but they say such nonsense as that. And you go, what is wrong with these people? But it's a bad idea our culture has been swimming in for a very long time. I remember one time seeing a a cartoon. Uh, This will be the longest quote I'll ever give you from Bugs Bunny. It's not usually that Bugs has a long dialogue. Not that much to quote. But in 1955, in a little cartoon that was a send-up of This Is Your Life, they had Bugs being honored, uh, much to Daffy's chagrin. He couldn't stand it that Bugs was being honored. But he gets called up by the MC of the program, which is Elmer Fudd. And if Elmer Fudd's your MC, you know how this is going to go. But Elmer says to Bugs as he's called up to the stage, he says, tell me your story. He says, start at the beginning. And here comes the, the gag. This is the gag. And this is in 1955. So before I was born. Some long time before I was born. Bugs says, in the beginning. That's just what John says, in the beginning. Bugs actually says this. In the beginning, there was no life. Earth was forming. And then in Bugs's over-the-top style, boom. The earth shimmered from earthquakes, mountains forming, oceans boiling. Then all's quiet. A little pool of water forms. In the pool, two tiny amoeba, the start of life. And that's where Elmer gives us the punchline and comes in and says, no, that's too far back. I remember watching that as a kid. And I remember my mother, she was 
going through the living room doing something as I was watching Bugs. And that was just about the last day I got to watch Bugs. Because Mom could not believe that Bugs was teaching evolution. It's like, Mom, uh, Bugs is more a product of your childhood than mine. And that is true. But she didn't remember that Bugs had said that. I'm sure she saw the Bugs cartoon. Everybody did. I mean, there wasn't that much to do, right? Back in whenever Bugs was there. But it didn't stick. But in some people's minds, that stuff sticks. And even back as far as 1955, in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, we have been sold a lie about why we're here and how we got here. And I got to tell you, there are people who know a whole lot more Bugs Bunny than they know Bible. And they got a lot more education from Bugs than from the Bible. And what people don't understand is that these things warp our understanding. But the Apostle Paul, we think about this, that it was made for him and by him. The Apostle Paul agreed with all this, Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16 continues, For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so John is teaching us what Paul will later explain, that we have in both Testaments, and we have in all of reality, the Word as the origin, and the Word as creator. And then John goes on to say, this Word is our light. And not just our light as believers. In a special way, he's our light as believers. Because we've come to accept the light and appreciate the light. But he is the light for all. He's the only way out of darkness. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from John, a God named John. He testified about the light. He wasn't the light, verse 8, but he testified about it. This was the true light which comes to the world and enlightens every man. Now, the Jews, going from the Psalms, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, said, we have the word of God. We, we don't need Jesus. Some of them did. But Jesus says, I am that very light that you claim to follow. I am the light. It, Isaiah 42, the prophecy. You, I have called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. Isaiah 42, 6. I will appoint you a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. And that's the prophecy that Simeon quoted when Jesus as a child was in the temple. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. And so here is Jesus, the true light, and the light for everybody. He enlightens everyone, even those who aren't Christians, even those who, those who reject the light. They have been helped and improved by the light. The fact that they reject it doesn't change it. The light is still there, although they often try to hide in darkness. But this light helps and enlightens, it says, every man. And if you don't believe that, study your ancient history. Study your pre-Christ ancient history and your post-Christ ancient history. 
and even among the non-believers, how is there not but a better in uh, society? How is there not improvement in this world? Not that there shall not cruelty and darkness and every kind of sin, but pre and post Christ is substantially different because he is a light to all. He's the light of the world. John 8, 12, Jesus will say later, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we're going to have what's in this prologue. We're going to have that come back up. The light was the light of men. And later Jesus will say, if you follow me, you'll not be in darkness, but have the light of life. And in John 12, I've come as light into the world. Everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so there are many who remain in darkness. In chapter 3, we're going to find that many intentionally choose the darkness. But because the light is there, we don't have to. Because the light is there, we're not stuck there. Because the word has come. And we also find out, <clears throat> as we said in the introduction lessons, mixing of the earthly and the fleshly. We have this word. We have this logos. Come in the flesh. That's the great promise in Isaiah 7.14, isn't it? That the word will become flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, quoted in Matthew 1 and 23. So here is Jesus, God with us. Verse 11, he came to his own, but his own received him not. They were his own. His own what? His own people. His own relatives. Literally, they're, they're his cousins, right? That's one of the things about a tribal society. And how was Israel organized? In tribes and families. And in a tribal society, uh, one of the things that gives it cohesion is everybody's related. Now, that's got its good points and its bad points. But one of the things about a tribal society is you're related to everybody. Now, of course, we learn more broadly through the scriptures and through the genealogy of Noah. Uh, what are we all? We're all still related. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're all cousins here. They're all deeply related. They are his own. He was one of them. He came in the flesh. He came. And we got two genealogies. One very likely through uh, Joseph and the other very likely through Mary. That's the reason why we have in Matthew and Luke two different genealogies. But they all get us to the same place. Jesus, the son of David, a man with a long family history among the Jews. This man born of woman. Verse 14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us john will say in his little epistle in first john one what we saw what we touched what we handled what we, concerning the word of life he was right there in the room with us and we spoke of some of that before so yes here's another reason to believe that he was flesh he dwelt among us but he wasn't just flesh we saw his glory john was there on the mount of transfiguration and saw him transfigured before him and light up the mountainside Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Yeah, if Jesus is as extraordinary as we say, there should be some extraordinary things going on around him. And what do we find in the Gospels? As we say in our study of Luke on Wednesday nights, the credible telling of incredible events, legitimately glorious and wonderful things happened around him on a very regular basis. We all think about our mundane life and how everything's the same and nothing much happens. And yeah, we can think of a few glorious things and times in our life, but nothing like the Gospels. But if God was among us, what would we expect? Wouldn't we expect on a regular basis some pretty wonderful things to happen? So he was flesh. 
but he was God. Glory is of the only begotten Father living in the flesh as a friend, as a prophet, as a savior, as a Lord and director, but also a compassionate one, a compassionate man among them, as it says here in verse 14, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Never was there a more gracious person. If God is love, and the scriptures affirm that he is, and God came to earth, what would he be like? What would he do? How many gracious things would he help people with? We studied recently in our Wednesday night class, he healed the widow of Nain's son. What do all the people say? God has visited his people. Yeah, that's, that's what you should have learned from that. That was the point of that. Yes, it was good that he did that. It was good for the family. It was good for the widow particularly. It was good for the son. But we find it was a demonstration of the power and compassion and divinity of God. And so Jesus goes around doing good and healing those oppressed by the devil. That's Acts chapter 10, Peter's summary of the life of Christ. Because why? He was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men. Verse 10, it says, he came into the world. He, he made the world. The world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. So they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. They couldn't accept him, so many of them, for what he was. Some of them later would in the time of the gospel. But all throughout, there is this work and operation of grace in Jesus' coming. He came known as the friend of sinners, not the judge of sinners. We think if Jesus had come to condemn the world, because the scriptures say he did not come to condemn, uh, but to save. If he had come to condemn, how quick a job would that have been? You know, it would have been like, a, 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 again, i sorry for all the pop culture references, but it would have been shorter than the trip on the minnow. You wouldn't even need to do the three-hour tour. You could just go around and yep, condemn sinner, sinner, sinner. It'd be done. It wouldn't have taken long at all. But he came to save, and so it was three years of ministry. And we find in him is grace. We so often, we so often define grace as an unmerited favor. That there's a favor, there's a kindness, there's a help when we didn't deserve it. And that is very true. What did we deserve as sinners that God would do more for us? Now, we've been given such benefits of grace that we often don't think about it. And sometimes in our worst days, we just well think, of, of course we get grace. That's what, that's what God does. God gives grace and I sin. That's how, that's how the world is ordered. It is how too often the world is ordered, but it shouldn't be. But it's not just that there's unmerited favor, but as someone once pointed out, it's actually demerited favor. It's not that you got what you didn't deserve. You got the opposite of what you did deserve. You deserve condemnation, but you got kindness. You got grace. And so he came to his own. Well, who else would you go to first? And he comes with a gracious offer. And what do they do? They reject him. And they crucify him. Were you there? We sing in the old Negro spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? No, we weren't. But they were, and he still offered to save them. They're the ones who did it. They didn't receive him. But of those who did receive him, because the mass and as a group they did not, but of the many who did, he gave them this great grace to be the children of God. 
even those who believe on his name. So that's how we come. Everything comes from belief. It's not belief only, but it's belief foundational, right? It's belief is caused by belief. Belief is the spur. Belief is the active thing that causes the rest to come. And so he gave them that right if they believed on his name. And this was as God decided and God graciously offered and called, born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. God said, this is how you come in this new family I'm making through him, that he has come to graciously offer a way in. So by God's gracious offer, in God's gracious way, by the gracious gospel of Christ, came redemption, forgiveness, the, the quickening to take us from dead in our sins and, and sick uh, and, and wounded and weak in, in the life we were living to be adopted and to be given new purpose and be given a sanctification and righteousness and life, as verse 16 summarizes, for of his testimony, of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So from him, it's grace after grace after grace. And for us, it should be belief, belief, and more belief, and everything that follows by that kind of trust and appreciation. For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. But grace <coughs> and truth were realized in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Grace is always bound by truth. And truth always comes graciously if it comes from God. And so these are not opposed. Some thought that the law was truth. John says, no, real truth came with real grace in Jesus. No one's seen God at any time. So we couldn't have got back to him. Not by ourselves. But the only begotten God, who's from the bosom of the Father, he's explained him. Again, this was the testimony John gave as he starts the tour. And again, we're still in the, the lobby we're still in the lobby, the place where we just got our, our ticket for the guided tour. We, we've just now boarded the bus, as it were. We've just now gathered as a group to go take the tour. <coughs> These are the first words of the guide telling us why, when I get done, you should believe. Because again, verse 7, John came so you might believe through him. And it says in verse 12 that believing we might have life in his name. And so you think about what a start to the tour. As I've been on a number of tours in my life, I've often kind of decided within the first five or ten minutes, this is going to be a good tour or not. You can kind of tell. Sometimes you're wrong about it, but a lot of times you, you got a feeling, don't you? you got a feeling how this is going to go. Because you kind of know why you showed up, and you, you kind of have an expectation of what you're hoping to see. And then <clears throat> what if you get a really good guide? very personable, very knowledgeable. They'll hit all the highlights for you. If you want, they'll pause and give you the details. But they won't bore you with details. I know I should stop. But what can a good guy do for you and take you around and show you what you come to see? Well, if you're reading John, John says, I'm here to guide you to belief. And he's the creator. He's the light who came in the flesh and is the center of grace. John's already pointed out we didn't talk about him. Our first helper, John, the other John, the Baptist, not, not the apostle. Next time we hope, and Lord willing, to look at what John said to guide us to belief. But today, as we've started now in earnest, 
in John's prologue, if we started the tour to belief, we asked two questions. Do you believe? Do you believe so that you have confessed it, that you really trust in him? If you need to make that kind of confession and you need to express that trust and uh, repent and uh, confess and be baptized, we'd ask you to come. And the other is, if you have made that confession and said you believe, are you still acting if you do? Are you living in trust? Or is the confession you've made a belief, is that a historical artifact of your life? Or is that a living thing? And a guiding thing? Is that really a light to you? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.